Well, let me ask you to take your Bibles this morning and join with me as we turn to Psalm 121. As you know, we've been looking at the Psalms this year. We've already seen Psalm 46 read for us, Psalm 46 sung for us, Martin Luther's great hymn inspired by Psalm 46, and now we come to Psalm 121. You'll notice in your Bibles that Psalms 120 through 134 are titled, A Song of Ascents, A Song of Ascents. And it may well have been that these particular psalms, of which Psalm 21 is an example, were sung or they were spoken as pilgrims made their way up to Jerusalem. And when I say up to Jerusalem, that physically is the case because Jerusalem is up uh, in the mountains. And so it could be that these pilgrims going to Jerusalem, observing one of the three great festivals of the Jewish faith, may have sung this psalm responsively as they were heading up. It could have been as they arrived that they sung it. Uh, as the priest led worship there in the temple. So follow along with me as I read this, and notice especially in verses 3 through 8, you will see the word, it's the Hebrew word shamar, and it can be translated, it can mean to protect, it can mean to guard. Here in this psalm, you'll see it translated keep or watch. And it's used six times. God is the one who keeps and he watches. I lift up my eyes to the hills. The pilgrims are heading up to the hills of Jerusalem. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. He will not let your foot slip. And we get the first watch. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you or watch over you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it does seem that the news from the flooding that occurred because of Hurricane Matthew just seems to be getting worse and worse and not better as the week moves on. As we experienced here in eastern North Carolina 17 years ago when Hurricane Floyd struck our area, the river levels are rising, the flooding has occurred, the families displaced, some of them in shelters, some of them in motels, some of them in family or friends' homes. And many people have or they will return to their home to discover that they no longer have a home. Things in some ways are getting worse and not better. Our friends in Kempston and in Goldsboro and in Lumberton, for instance, 
Many of them have had it especially tough, perhaps far worse than what we've had. Many of them, I know the folks down in Lumberton, went without electricity and water for a week. I'd understood that that may be coming on sometime this weekend. I haven't heard. But you know, when our world starts to crumble, as Psalm 46 suggests, and it's been that way for so many people across eastern North Carolina and certainly South Carolina and Georgia and Florida and Haiti and other parts of our world, to whom do we go for strength? To whom do we go to ground us and to center us? Well, Psalm 46 and Psalm 121 tell us that when things seem to get worse and worse and not any better, we can always count on God. Psalm 46 actually imagines the worst possible world catastrophe. If you can imagine this, the text says that the earth gives way and that the mountains slide into the sea. Now, can you imagine anything of a natural disaster being any worse than mountains falling away into the sea? That kind of makes what we're dealing with now a Sunday school picnic, doesn't it? The mountains falling into the sea and worldwide conflict erupting. Nations arising against each other, says the psalmist. But what does Psalm 46 say? God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. The psalmist says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in this harsh and hostile world that does include hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes, and it's filled with people who have free will, who lots of times make a lot of bad choices, Psalm 121 reminds us that the Lord is the maker of the heavens and the earth, and he is the one who is our strength also. He's the one who never sleeps. I mean, i got to have at least six or seven, eight hours of sleep a day, don't you? Our Lord never sleeps. The text says that his foot never, never slips, that he is the one who shamar, He watches, he guards, he keeps, he protects his people. I don't know how many of you in this room in years gone by have been Little House on the Prairie fans. Remember that show? Can you shake your head if you're with me this morning? Okay. Every once in a while I have to say, Earth to Oakmont, come in at the 940 service. Uh, You remember Little House on the Prairie, right? Michael Landon? who starred in that show, I remember very clearly a two-part episode when that series aired, and of course, I think it's still in some reruns on some of the channels. And in the first part of Little House on the Prairie, uh, again, let's set the stage, Michael Landon, his, his character was Charles Engel, Ingalls, and he had a son named James on Little House on the Prairie, and when James was 12 years old, he walked into a bank robbery and was shot. And in the first episode, Michael Landon's character, Charles Ingalls, pursues those who who were the robbers, who stole the money and shot his son, and brings them back to justice. That's in the first episode. But the second hour of the two-part episode has more biblical and deep theological themes. You see, James now is in a coma. He's had surgery. He's got a bullet lodged in his spinal cord. 
And the doctors are telling Charles Ingalls and his family that James is not going to awake from the coma, that James is, if he ever does, possibly he'll be paralyzed and more than likely he's going to die. And Charles refuses to believe that that's going to happen. And in one of the scenes, he's at the church and he's praying and the pastor comes in and he's trying to help Charles get to a point of accepting reality and Charles refuses to accept the fact despite his pastor, his wife, his family, his friends, he will not accept the fact that his son James is not going to be healed and come back out of that coma whole as he was before. So at one part in the story... Charles takes James away out into the countryside. And he tenderly cares for his son. He feeds him. He bathes him. And one night, Charles is reading his Bible. And he opens it up to Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, where God commands the people to build this stone altar. So Charles goes and finds stone and builds this high altar altar to God and erects on the top of it a wooden cross following the, the suggestion of Exodus 20 verse 25. And later in that episode, an old man with white hair and a white beard and a wooden cane appears and he feeds James some soup out of a bowl. And even though James is in a coma, he eats some of that soup. And Charles takes that as a sign that this is not just any old man. He indeed is a messenger from God. And he really believes, Charles does, that God is going to heal his son. Well, the next night, the old man with the white hair and the white beard and the cane appears again. It's during a lightning storm. And he tells Charles to pick up James and to take him to that altar of stone because he tells Charles that God is going to act that night. Well, sure enough, Hollywood never disappoints us, does it? Sure enough, Charles Ingalls and his son James are there at that altar of stone and suddenly both of them are struck by lightning. And Charles falls to the ground and he awakens to find his son James caressing him and calling out his name. The miracle has happened after all. But the part about the story that really catches your attention, and it's a key scene in the story, is when the old man stands before Charles Ingalls, before he's struck by lightning, and the rain is coming down and the lightning is flashing. And Charles is there with his son still in a coma by that, by that stone of altar and the cross. And the old man with the white hair and the white beard and the cane asked Charles Ingalls, if God doesn't work a miracle, will you still have faith? If God doesn't work a miracle, will you still have faith? Now, you know, that question is an easy one to ask and answer on that particular two-part episode of Little House on the Prairie. The reason that's an easy question to ask and answer is because this show is produced or was produced by Michael Landon. This episode was written by Michael Landon. This particular episode, would you believe it, was directed by Michael Landon. And this particular two-part episode 
starred Michael Landon. It was pretty easy for Michael Landon and all of the characters to know how the story was going to end. But the fact is, you and I don't always know how our script is going to end, do we? Only God does. And sometimes it is the case that things seem to get worse and worse and worse for us and not better. And then God unilaterally, all by himself, decides to work a miracle just like he did in this particular two-part episode. He works a miracle of deliverance and salvation. But you know there are other times in life when things get worse and worse and they don't get better either temporarily or permanently. But God sends these white-haired and white-bearded messengers, just as he did in that little house of the, on the prairie episode, and it seems that God intends to use you and me to be his hands and his feet and his voice to watch and to guard and to keep those who are in their time of need. That is something that we have seen take place this past week. And I want to ask a few people to come up here and join me for just a moment. I have uh, Amy Andrews and Tom Morris. And is Jimmy Hughes? There's Jimmy. Come on up here a second. And uh, Jimmy, you come over here to my left. How does that sound? That way I'm surrounded by, by greatness. Indeed. Tom, come on. You, you, you get closer. I'm never, we all You're great too, Tom. Jimmy is our director of missions here at Oakmont. I think most of you know. Amy Andrews is our minister to youth and college. Tom Morris uh, is one of our deacons. He's also involved uh, in a men's uh, fitness and fellowship and faith group called F3. And that's what the three, I think the three F stand for. Did I get it correct, Tom? And I want you to know that this past week, not just here at Oakmont, but certainly here, there were pockets of God's people who were his hands and his feet and his voice, who were being the presence of Christ. They were the, you know, you didn't realize you were those white-haired and white-bearded uh, men and, and others that God was using in a powerful way. And Jimmy, I want to start with you this morning because we've already mentioned from the children's worship time that we have some special friends from, uh, I know, the state of Arkansas, and I have heard some from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. right. And tell our congregation a little bit about what's going on this week because you've been, and thank you so much for all you've done this week. Um, Richard Brunson, our executive director of North Carolina Baptist Men, called me last Sunday after lunch and said, we have been asked to provide a feeding unit and we want to stage it at Oakmont. Can you host a team of up to 30, 60 volunteers sleeping in your Sunday school classes and at your church? And they will bring a kitchen unit and shower units and seven transfer trailer trucks full of supplies. So I called, I said, I'll let you know. Called Greg, talked to him a little bit. and. Um, told them, yes, Oakmont will be privileged and honored to have that group of uh, Baptist men and women um, serve here uh, as long as needed. 
So he said, okay, I'll get back with you. It's probably going to be a group from out of state. So at some point early in the week, we found out Arkansas and Oklahoma, Baptist men and women will be coming. Um, the state coordinator from North Carolina arrived early Wednesday morning, and he came and kind of looked at our facilities, told us where, you know, everything needed to be parked, shower, trailer, and back, kitchen, uh, all that kind of thing. And then the first team of eight and the kitchen and shower unit um, started, came in uh, late Wednesday night, and the rest of the team of 40-ish um, came late Thursday night. Um, they've been cooked so far after today we'll have prepared over 15,000 meals that has gone out into the community um, the uh, Red Cross is uh, delivering some of these meals Oak Miners but until Red Cross and we got food and all that was lined up uh, pockets of Oak Miners were preparing meals um, and and Memorial Baptist Church and taking them to places that they had heard needed those this uh, Arkansas Oklahoma team's been awesome to work with the food truck was delayed got here about noon on Friday and they each have assignments. So all the, these 50 people who are here right now have no, don't know each other. Some it's the first time, some it's they've been um, serving on disaster relief in the past. But anyway, they got here, each got their assignments. They got the clipboard with what was on that food truck when it arrived about noon on Thursday. And the Judy and food team looked at it, figured out what meals they had, what they could cook, and they had 2,000 meals ready by 4 o'clock um, <laughs> sitting on the curb for people to come pick up and distribute. Um, and it's just kind of grown from there. I, I think they have the capability of doing 20 to 30,000 meals a day mm -hmm. if they have to. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they can mass produce food. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's right. just a beautiful thing to see them in action. A big prayer need. We, we need more food. Food trucks. Um, one unit is closing. We had seven feeding units um, across the eastern North Carolina through the Baptist men coordinating efforts. Um, there are two, a second and a third team prepared to come here from Arkansas and Oklahoma. Another 40 will arrive Tuesday night, and this team of 50 will leave Wednesday morning. It's a two day bus ride by charter bus back and forth. Um, we may evolve into a um, flood recovery at some point. We don't know all that yet, but pray that that food truck comes um, because uh, we, we will get a partial truck from a feeding unit that's closing um, and they're supposed to get that to us today. And then um, another food truck is gonna be needed to continue putting out that volume of food. So just pray for this group. And Michael mentioned in his prayer, two people have had um, unexpected deaths in their family while they've been here. You know, and that's hard to be away from family when one has been able to go back and one isn't. So they, they don't complain. They get up at oh dark 30, at least 5 a.m. or, or whatever. <laughs> um, and they don't stop until it's dark again. Um, and then they, they have the luxurious accommodations of our Sunday school classrooms in their um, cots air mattresses or sleeping bags that they brought with them and they have a few clothes that the shower unit keeps clean so it's just been a blessing to see and god is an ever present help in our time of trouble and it's you and it's me so just be prepared this is going to be a long recovery um and we are going to have operation as much Saturday in some form or fashion. If you yep. sign up to fill some of the projects, we may change some of those things. And if water has receded enough to start doing uh, flood recovery by Saturday, we'll include that. But it's going to be a long process. But it's you and me providing meals, holding hands, helping that neighbor drag out their wet stuff out of their house, um, and just being alongside them. Jimmy, thank you so much. And, and Men and women from Arkansas if, and Oklahoma, stand up for just a moment so we can um, just say how much we appreciate your coming. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Thank you. You'd be seeing it. And, and of course, there's about uh, 45 more out there working right now. There were a few who came in for worship, and I think maybe some may come at 11 o'clock. But, you know, that's a long ways to come, Oklahoma and Arkansas, and we thank you so much. And, Amy, also some things down um, that are some youth and parents, Oakmont and the Memorial Baptist Church, some folks there, uh, share with our congregation what's been going on down at the branches location. Okay. Um, sort of started from a conversation several of us were having over lunch on Monday. Um, where do people go to help when they want to help? And what can they do? And what do people need? And so several of us thought, you know, the big room in Branches is a great place to sort of house a few things and, and help meet a few needs. And um, we were expecting a couple tables of, you know, toilet paper and paper towels and things like that that folks may need. Um, and it's just been amazing. This entire week, our Branches location has been full of volunteers, uh, things coming in and Five minutes later, they would be needed, and they would go out, and there would be someone there to run the boxes to the hotel to meet the needs of the folks there, or there would be someone there who was willing to go buy the laundry cards to meet the needs of the folks that were staying in the shelters. And it, what we've seen this week is, I think, I mean, it's the church coming together to be the church. I didn't know half the people who were there to show up to volunteer. Um, folks would just come, bring their children, kids serving alongside of adults. Um, it was just a beautiful way to see the church and the community come together and the, the church really be the community. And so that was just such a beautiful thing. Um, aside even from the beauty of God providing exactly what folks needed exactly when they needed it. And that was a, an exciting thing to see happen down at Branches. And then Tom, pass the microphone down to Tom. Tom, I know there were a lot of volunteers, some from Oakmont and other locations on Monday who were um, evacuating people out of Cypress Glen because of the rising flood water. But, but you had, uh, you and some of the F3 men and maybe some other volunteers were part of something pretty significant. Share with our congregation. Yeah, so uh, our team, five of us got together on Saturday, actually in the middle of the storm. We got on a conference call and started planning because we knew there was going to have to be some type of response. And our F3 team supported F3 Columbia last year when they got hit by the hurricane. And so we touched base with some of those folks to understand what some of the lessons were that they went through. Uh, some of the trials that they went through, and we basically applied that, and ultimately we ended up at Cypress Glen. Um, the mission of F3 is to reinvigorate male leadership in the community. And so we recognized on Sunday night, as some of those residents were being evacuated, that there was going to be a lot more coordination required uh, just to be able to pull everything off. And so I met with one of the directors on Monday morning and offered up uh, our leadership assistance, and they accepted that. And so we helped to evacuate uh, 15 residents. I mean, complete evacuation. They took care of the, of the residents themselves, but we, we evacuated all the personal property, beds, a complete whole wing on Monday. And then Monday night, I got a call, and they said, hey, can you help uh, set up some, or fill up some sandbags on, on Tuesday? And so I showed up with six guys Tuesday morning thinking we were going to fill up like 100 sandbags and block some doors. And truckloads of sand just kept coming in. And before it was over, we had about 200 people on site. Um, and really, 
the way that worked was a lot of volunteers didn't know what to do. And so I took the lead on that project along with some of the F3 guys and we basically divided up that work and we got the wall built. Uh, Tuesday we set 7,000 sandbags. There was about uh, close to 100 tons of sand that had been brought in. And mm. then Tuesday night uh, we were actually at Nelson Cooper's house. A bunch of us were meeting at his house and I got the call from him again and they said, hey, we want to extend the wall a little bit. Can you get some guys over? And so we grabbed uh, six guys to go back Tuesday or Wednesday morning and realized that um, that was a bigger effort than we thought. We were using social media to be able to coordinate people because when you have 150 people show up on site, it's very difficult to manage when there's nothing, when there's no materials there. And so we held off, uh, we asked people to hold off until 1230. Sand was on site at 1130 and I'm thinking we don't have any people here and we have just as many sandbags to set as we did on Tuesday. Uh, but God provided, the people started showing up. Uh, we had a lot of sports teams from ECU showed up, a lot of volunteers showed up. At that point it was di really difficult to manage because the water had come up so far it basically divided the back half of Cypress Glen into two sections. So we had to sort of divide the leadership up. Uh, long story short, we set somewhere between 10 and 13,000 sandbags on Wednesday. We had to reinforce the wall uh, to make sure that when that water came up that it wasn't gonna push the sandbags over. And so it was just, you know, the community coming together was phenomenal. We had a ton of support. Uh, and I mentioned to several people that if I would have known what the task was before we started, I would have said it couldn't have been done. Uh, this thing was way bigger than me or any individual. God provided the people, God provided the resources. When we needed sand, sometimes we had to wait, um, but we waited and we kept the people engaged. Some of those waiting periods were an hour or more. Um, and what we did, one of the things we do in F3, at the end of every workout, we have what's called a ball of man, where everybody comes together and takes a knee and we, we just kneel down and pray. And uh, so those times where we were waiting for sand and waiting for materials, that's what I did. I pulled people together and said, we're gonna take a knee and we're gonna pray if you feel led to do that. And I don't think there was any time where, where nobody took a knee. And uh, so it was very touching, very moving. It was a very emotional time for everybody that was involved. And, and, and you all filled a total of about 20,000 Somewhere between 20 and 23,000 sandbags and we evacuated wow. uh, 62,500 square feet of of facility. Wow, wow. Tom and Amy and Jimmy and all of you who have been involved in so many ways, thank you for, for sharing this morning. Thank you so much. Now do you understand the psalmist a little better? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? It comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one whose foot does not slip, the one who neither sleeps nor slumber. And sometimes all by himself, God can work a miracle. He can send down manna by himself. He can part the Red Sea by himself. He can bring the people of Israel over into the promised land by parting the Jordan all by himself. He doesn't need one bit of help from any of us. But on so many occasions, it does seem to be the case 
that God calls you and me to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his voice, to join hands together. And that's where we come alongside God in guarding and keeping and watching over our brothers and our sisters in need. Friends, this morning, we're going to sing the hymn of response, number 712, Be Still My Soul. And as we sing the hymn, it's in your hymnal, I hope you'll think about those ways that God is calling you to be his hands, his feet, his voice, to help keep watch and guard and to protect, protect people in need. And not just now in a time of crisis. We need to have this same heart and spirit every day of the week with a neighbor and a friend in need. It could be that there's somebody here who's never made that decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Or you've been through our membership class, Oakmont 101, and you're ready to become a part of the church family, and you want to come and, and share that with me as I'm standing at the front. And I do want you to know that two Sundays from now, we're going to take a special offering. Uh, so if you're looking for a place to share financially, we're going to send our offering to the North Carolina Baptist men to their relief ministry and designated here for Eastern North Carolina. So it will impact Greenville and Pitt County significantly two Sundays from now. And we'll have a chance to receive that offering as well. Maybe you want to go back to the prayer stations and write a prayer request at the back. And we'll have several of our ministers standing there to pray with you. You know we pray every Monday morning as a staff for the request that you leave. So let's stand together and let's sing and you respond as God leads you.